Luke chapter 18. Turn over there if you would. Luke chapter 18 this morning. Not many song leaders can just say, okay, let's lead that one. So good job, Danny. That was good. You had to, but you did it. So we appreciate you. Luke chapter 18. I want to say something before I start today. This is not the focus of the lesson, but this week I had a couple of phone calls from some folks, and I just want to say at the beginning, if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this. God loves you. God cares about you. And I don't know where you're at this morning. If you feel, you know, great about that, that's an exciting thing for you. If you think, I don't even know if I'm good enough to be here, I want to tell you something. God's done all that he's done for you. He wants you to be his. He wants you to belong to him. He wants you to know Christ. He wants you to be able to live this great victorious life that he's got planned for you. And I want you to hear that God loves you this morning because it seems like sometimes we sort of take for granted that everybody knows that. And I'm telling you, everybody does not know that. Everybody does not get that. And everybody does not feel that. And so because of that, I just want you to, I want you to hear it said God loves you today. And and as we start Luke chapter 18, I want you to understand that Jesus still loves the two people we're going to talk about today. Now, Jesus is a great, great storyteller. I, I wish a lot of times that I could take the things that we read about in Scripture and hear it from Jesus' voice. I don't know what his voice was like. It must have been powerful, or at least it was good to listen to. You think Jesus had a lisp? I, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Have you? So it doesn't look like that when you, you know, see the stuff written in the New Testament. But we don't hear his voice. I don't know what he sounded like. But by the time Jesus is doing what we read about in Luke 18, he's drawing crowds. People are coming in big crowds. Maybe some are there because they're wanting him to feed them. He did that sometimes. Maybe other people are there because they want him to heal them. Or they've got some special thing they want to ask him to do. They want to test Jesus. Some people were there for that purpose. But some people are there just to hear what he's going to have to say next. And they're hanging on every word. They're listening to see, what is he going to say and how does it apply to me? So when he tells this story, I kind of wonder, what was their reaction Jesus often will tell something, and you hear it, and you think, now, Jesus, who are you talking to? Are you talking to to this group? Are you talking to that group? Are you saying this just to me? We sort of try to figure out how to apply it. Well, Luke helps us in chapter 18, verse 9, because he tells us who Jesus is directing this at. So it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness... People that had a false confidence in their own righteousness. And they looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Now, everybody there heard it, but he's directing it toward the people that have this bad attitude. That that think that they're too good. That think that they're better than other people that are there. Now, I know today... This lesson, probably, you're thinking, why are you even telling us this lesson, Joe? None of us are like this. Good. I'm glad. That's that's great. I still think there'll be something to take from the lesson. Because maybe we don't stand out the way that the character in this story does. But we all struggle sometimes with starting to get a little too, a little too high and mighty. 
Maybe we just get a little too self-righteous. We think about self first. And we sort of feel better than other people. Because let's be honest, we all look for somebody. Maybe you have that friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe somebody where you work. And even when you're having a bad day, you're like, maybe I'm not doing great, but I'm better than they are. You know what I'm talking about? So there's that character in this story too. So Jesus tells this parable, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now let's talk about who these two people were. The Pharisee you probably have heard about. Does anybody think if you came in church this morning and somebody said, you are such a Pharisee, would you, would you appreciate that? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we see that as a positive. We take it as a very negative connotation to the, the term Pharisee. But Pharisees were important people. They were often financially well-to-do. You had to be born into this family, essentially, to be a Pharisee. And they didn't take new people. It wasn't like a club you could pledge into. Okay, you kind of either were a Pharisee or you weren't. They dressed differently than other people. They looked more, you know, pious and, and righteous. They sat in a special place. When they went into the synagogue, you know where they sat? They sat in the choicest seats. At the front. <laughs> the ones that are usually empty here. I'm trying not to take that personally, okay? If you went to a concert, these are the best seats. And at the synagogue, this is where these really important people sat. Now, the, the synagogue divided into different groups. And the men sat in one space. They were in a special place. The men were. And they sat, the more important you were, the closer you sat to the front. The Pharisees were right up front. One of the effects of that is you can't see who else is there. And they didn't care. Matter of fact, this guy is going to look back over his shoulder at somebody else and point them out here in just a minute as we read this. But the Pharisee, as is captured in this old piece of art, essentially has his head up, he's better, he looks better, he's dressed better, he's more important, he's well fed according to the look of this, right? He's an important person. And so that's how he addresses God, as an important person. And so the Pharisee stands up and he prays about himself. He prays about himself. Y'all ever heard people do that? Have y'all ever done that? Yourself, maybe? Okay. God, I thank you I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And I can see him pointing back at the guy. I'm not like this loser. This person that's a bad person. This person who morally is not good. This person who's made bad choices. This person who has made themselves rich off of the stealing from other people. I mean, let's be honest, that's what tax collectors did. Tax collectors were not loved people. Jesus is telling a story, the great storyteller is telling a story where neither person is well liked. Now, the Pharisees are not liked by the common people because the Pharisees think they're better than the common folks. But also, the tax collectors are not loved by the people either because they're stealing from the people and they're living in fine homes when the people are broke. 
So they're not appreciated either. He says, thank thank you, God, that I'm not like these people. Verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Oh, aren't you something? Oh, aren't you good? This is the attitude of the Pharisee. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat on his breast. He hit himself in the chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I'm worthless. I'm terrible. I know my sin. It's right in front of me. I know the things I've done wrong. Now, today, we might not relate as well to a tax collector. So I've thought of a modern-day analogy to this. I hope this helps you a little bit. Y'all ever hear those commercials on the radio or see the TV commercials about payday loans? Y'all ever hear those? All right, think about that for a second now. Now think about somebody that you saw on TV that always advertised these payday loans, and they walked in the back door of the church. What would you think of that person? Y'all realize these are loan sharks, right? Y'all realize these people are extorting money from folks is what they're doing. It's legal to do it, so they're doing it legally. But it's a terrible way to do people, isn't it? It's an awful thing to do. Think about that when you think of the tax collector. These people were not loved by most of the folks that are there. They're not appreciated. They were not doing good things. They were not righteous in their behavior. And so this unrighteous man comes before God and he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. This is his attitude. Very different than the attitude of the Pharisee. Now, people have to be listening to this. And Jesus, the great storyteller, they've come. And there's a crowd there and they're listening. And they hear it and they're like, okay, I hear about the Pharisee. Okay, I hear about the tax collector. I think at this point they're probably wanting some third character in this story. Because you don't want to be a Pharisee, but you don't want to be a tax collector either, right? They're both bad. They're just bad for different reasons. But Jesus does something that's a twist, which Jesus often does. Which is why the name of this lesson is Jesus said, what? I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's the point here? Jesus says this incredible thing in this story. He says, be the tax collector in the story. Now, he doesn't mean be the tax collector in that you should do something immoral or take money from people or steal. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, when it comes to your attitude before God, you need to come before God as though you yourself are a tax collector. You are a payday loan guy, okay? And you've done terrible things last week, and you extorted people, and you took money from them. Come before God as though you are in the wrong. You are somebody who needs the redemption of God, and without Him, there's no hope in your life. That is the way to come before God. That is the way to pray to God. That is the way to talk to your Father. Not coming, talking about yourself, Or trying to lift yourself up and say, God, I know, hey, I made some mistakes, but they weren't as bad as theirs. And you know what? We have a lot of that in our world today. Because 
If you get on social media, you can find somebody worse than you, right? You can be rotten and find somebody worse than you. Isn't that right? They usually are an elected official. I mean, the fact is, there's a lot of people out there that are supposed to be examples for us that are pretty bad folks. There's people doing things that are very unrighteous. So if we're living a life that God calls us to, and we're trying to be who he asks us to be, then pretty quickly we can start to feel pretty good about who we are. It's not hard to do. It's pretty easy, matter of fact. And so the caution Jesus is giving them and us is be really careful with the attitude that you bring when you approach your father. Be very careful because God knows you. And none of us can come before him with an arrogant, brash attitude that God, you know what? I've got a good life, God. I've got a good family. I've got a good job. I make good money. I'm proud of myself. I like what I do. I'm pretty happy. You know, God might be a nice sort of accessory to my life, you know? My puzzle's just about totally complete with myself, but I could add this little tiny piece that might kind of make it better if I just put God in the picture, right? Do you think there's people that look at God that way? Do you think there's people that think about, you know, church or religion in that, in that vein? You know, my life's already pretty good, but maybe it would just be the little extra thing, the little cherry on top, right? And yet this is not at all the attitude with which God says we should come to him. We have to come to him saying, God, I don't, I don't have anything. I heard somebody say one time, and I like this. I thought this was great. Jesus can't welcome you into his arms and give you the big hug you so desire if your arms are full of your stuff. Isn't that right? If we won't put down our stuff, we can't embrace what it is that God's trying to do for us. But sometimes we do that. We approach God in a way that we shouldn't. This past week, I talked to a friend of mine. He's in Memphis, Tennessee. He does prison ministry. We're talking on the phone, and he, he studied with a man that was in prison for a period of years and needed somebody to talk to. And so guess what? He said, well, I'll talk to this guy who's doing the Bible study. So he starts studying the Bible with my friend, Glenn. And as Glenn talks to him, the man says, look, I don't know much about the Bible. I know it talks about God. I know who Jesus is. I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know anything else. He said, I grew up in a terrible family. He said, what I really want to know about is, I want to know about what does God want me to do in my life. And so as Glenn talked to him, one of the things he said was, he said, well, he wants you to have a good relationship with the people around you too. He wants you to have a good relationship with him, but he also wants you to have a good relationship with others. So you're going to have to work on that. He said, one thing I want you to do is, you can't have three baby mamas. You need, to have, you need to have one wife, and you need to take care of her, and you need to take care of your children, and you need to have a, a home the way God wants it to be. Glenn said as he heard that, he looked at him, and he just kind of stared down at the table for a minute. And Glenn said, I'll be honest, I decided I was not going to talk first. So he said, I just didn't say anything. And he said, I did not know whether he was going to say well, I got to go and get up and walk out. Or what he was going to say. And he said after about 30 seconds, he looks up and he says, 
Well, I guess I'm going to have to change. What great words. What a beautiful concept. Which of us, when looking at God's Word, can say, you know what? I've come and I'm right, and everything about me is right, and God will just have to accept me the way I am, because I'm already perfect. Is there anybody here that can approach God that way? There's not a soul. There's not a soul anywhere that can do that. And so just like this man who's behind bars, who's paying a penalty for a choice that he made in his life, we're not better than him. Do you get that? Every one of us have got to look at God's Word and say, Hey, well, I guess... I'm just going to have to change. None of us come to him without being able to say that. We all have to change. We all have things about us that have to be worked on. And you know what? I don't think any of us, as we grow even, even as we become more of what God's called us to be. And you know what? Growth is exciting. And I've seen some of you grow, and I'm excited to see that. It's wonderful to see. But even as we grow, we still are not perfectly where Jesus tells us to be, are we? None of us ever get there. We're all working on that, which is really a beautiful thing. It means that we can really understand each other better. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. Paul's going to tell us something here that's important for us to get. In verse 21, But now righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. There is no difference. Jesus, you're talking about a Pharisee. You're talking about a tax collector. Jesus says, there's no difference. What? But wait with my eyes. I see a lot of difference, Jesus. But guess what? They're both lost in sin. Neither one of them can come to God saying, I've got it all figured out. I understand everything. I know exactly what I'm to do, and I'm doing it all the time. None of us can approach God that way. All of us have ways in which we can adjust who we are when we look at the Master, Jesus Christ. None of us step up to Jesus and say, well, I've got it whipped. None of us can do that. We all have things to do. But praise God, the righteousness that we have comes from Him and not from us. What if we had to catch up and capture and write down every righteous thing we did? Hey, we'd never get there. Y'all know that, don't you? We'd never get there. And so Paul is saying, thank God that it's not the law that makes us righteous, that we don't even try that anymore, that it's Jesus Christ that makes us righteous. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. I'm so thankful that there's that and. I'm so thankful for verse 24. As a kid, I memorized verse 22 and 23. But verse 24 is pretty good. We shouldn't leave that off. Because we're all justified freely by the grace of God, which we all have to have and none of us deserve. None of us deserve it. But God's made a way for that to happen. God's provided a method by which we can get in His grace. And we have a righteousness that is His righteousness, not our righteousness. Because if it's up to our righteousness to get there, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Pharisee, you will not get there. You cannot make it work out. But this tax collector gets it. And he approaches God humbly. 
And he says with open hands, if it's not for you, God, I can't do it. It won't happen. Paul goes on to talk about that. He says it in another place in Philippians chapter 3. If you were in Bible class, we read that this morning in the adult Bible classes. But I want to touch on again what it says. Starting in the second half of verse 4. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, what? A Pharisee, he says. I was a Pharisee. I sat on the front row, the best row to sit on, okay? As for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He said, I was doing by the outside, by what you could see on the outside, everything I did was right. I was doing all the things right. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, if we're going to glory in something this morning, we better glory in Jesus Christ. And we better not glory in us. Now, when we do have something good happen, that's great. I mean, be excited about that and take joy in that. But really, if we get some sort of praise, right... Who is deserving of that? It's the Lord. It's God. It's Christ. That's right. It's the plan. It's not us. It can't be us. It's not about us. It's about Him. And that's what we have to keep going back to. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says in verse 9, Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because that law couldn't bring you to a righteous place. It wouldn't happen. But that which is in faith is in faith is in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so what? To then somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Well, we have this great thing. God's made a way so that we can participate in the death of Jesus and so be raised to walk in newness of life. Do you know what that is? It's great. It's right back here. It's clean. It's stirred right now. The water's moving around. We have a little pump in there that does that. There are no bugs on top of it. I looked, because sometimes there are, but not today. God made this way for us to get in the blood of Jesus. God made this way for us to die to self and live for Him. God made a way for us to be buried with Christ and to rise, walk in newness of life. That's His plan for us. He's laid it out. It's not our plan. It's His plan. It's not this church's plan. We didn't get together and say, well, what are we going to do? God's house, how do you think people should be saved? It's not our plan. He lays it out in Scripture. He tells us what to do. It's very clear. It's easy. Let's do it His way. What do you say? If we do it His way and we ask for His grace and we follow His Son and we're baptized in His blood, which is what He says we do, then guess who we'll belong to? Him. That's right. We'll be His. And that's our hope. That's what we've got to have. That's what we need. Not a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. Hey, that was tried. For thousands of years, people tried it. Guess what? They couldn't get there. Not possible. All they proved was it wasn't possible. But I'm so thankful that they proved that to us. 
So we don't have to live our lives hopeless like they did, many of them, without a relationship with God like they could have had. But God made a plan. God made a plan for them, and he made a plan for us. Same plan as Jesus. That's his plan for us. Sometimes we get to growing in him. And I want to talk about this bucket for a second. I want you to imagine taking a bucket. Any of y'all ever worked one of those old hand pumps? Yeah, somebody acted like in first service. They had one at their house when they were a kid. I was like, I don't think there's anybody here that old, but maybe. Anyway, I didn't ask about how old they were. So, But you pump that, that bucket full of water. It's a good feeling when you finish and you got it all filled up, right? Some of us start to think that we do things that kind of fill our bucket up. Hey, I, you know, I had done everything right, but I, I went and helped somebody who was poor. Well, that's great. And they kind of give their, they kind of give that a couple of pumps and they kind of start to fill their bucket up. Hey, I went on a mission trip. Woo! Man, that's great. Hey, I studied the Bible with somebody. Let me fill this bucket on up. Look at my bucket. It's almost full. They kind of imagine that they have this holy bucket, right? Of holy things they've done. The problem is it is a holy bucket, but it's not holy like you think it is. It's holy, and it's got a hole in it. And it's just spilling water out the whole time. You can't fill it up. You can't put enough in it. And instead of pumping it full of water, we really have like a teaspoon. And we're just dropping, right? Because our righteousness never gets there. It'll never happen. It's not until Jesus Christ comes into our life that that blessing of righteousness comes into us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, to fix the hole in the bucket, right? To make it right again so it'll hold water. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That was his plan all along. Two passages in Scripture, Revelation 22, Ezekiel 47. Don't turn there, but you could read them later. Both of those passages talk about a beautiful thing. It talks about the throne of God in heaven. And from the throne flows this water. And it makes a river of life that is a beautiful thing. You want to be in that river. You want to go in that river. You want to get drowned in that river because it's a good place to be. It's grace. It's mercy coming from the throne of God. And that's what he wants to give us. You can't fill your bucket up, though, with your righteous acts. But you can, through the love of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Christ, you can make your life such that it'll hold that water, that righteousness from God. Not a righteousness of your own, but a righteousness from Him. He wants to do that for you. Why would you wait? Why would you hold back? What would you hold out for? What is it you're hoping to do? What is it you think you'll accomplish that will finally get you there? Let me tell you something if you hadn't figured it out. You'll never get there. It won't happen. But God's made a plan. And sometimes that plan's the hardest thing for us to follow. Jesus said what? Jesus said, be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, turn from your way and listen to me. Do what I've said. Jesus said, you want to win, you have to submit. You want to rise up, you want to, you want to become somebody great, you've got to drop to your knees. He says, if you want to be full, you've got to come empty. I mean, that sounds opposite, doesn't it? But it works. So if you're here today and you know you found the empty way of life and you're sick of it, and you want to make a change, 
If we can help you, we want you to be baptized into Christ. We want you to take on the new person. We want you to wash away the old man and be this new person in him. That's what he wants for you. If we can help you, why don't you come while we stand and sing? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me?